1060 KDUS Tempe Phoenix and KSLX HD2 Scottsdale Phoenix. It's now time to enter the sports zone with your host, Bob Kemp. Man-to-man coverage with bringing pressure off the edge. And they're going to go toward Harris, and he turns, makes the catch. He hangs on, keeps one foot in. And Marvin Harrison Jr. with his ninth touchdown reception of the year. McCarthy looking for the end zone, has a man wide open, and it's Corum walking in. Impressive drive as a Wolverines answer. They frequently run the play clock down a lot. In the end zone, touchdown! 19 yards, and the Huskies lead for the fourth time tonight. Nobody takes the middle. Penix anticipates the throw. Phillips. K.J. Simpson got caught watching the paint dry, and Collins back cut him. Smart play. Watson again. Hello. Heat check in Tucson. Number two with a couple of threes back to back. So Miami will punt. Back to back possessions. Jake Bailey with a big punt sends Deontay Hardy all the way back to the five. Has some space. Takes off. Look out, Hardy. Gets a block downfield. Hardy's going to go. He's in midfield. Nobody's going to catch him. Deontay Hardy, 95 yards. Stopped, so kept the clock running. Second down to Robinson. The block intercepted again. This time, Murphy Benton. They're going for Jones. Quarterback Trevor Lawrence has just thrown his second interception today. Dial 602-260-1060. That's 602-260-1060. Or tweet the show at KDUSAM1060. And now, here's your sports zone guide, Bob Kemp, on KDUSAM1060. Welcome to the Monday, January 8th edition of the Sports Zone. Not just the news and scores, the news and scores with analysis. In today's Sports Zone, right here on KDUS AM 1060 and Kiss Lux HD 2 100.7, the Cardinals, should they trade down from the fourth pick if Marvin Harrison Jr. is not available? Michigan and Washington, who wins tonight? ASU basketball, what has been most surprising? U of A basketball, did it stop the bleeding? NFL week number 18, what stood out, and what else caught your eye since our last show. Here's today's schedule lineup on the show, which is the most informative sports talk Monday through Friday. In moments, we'll have the introduction of today's pipeline. 10-15, the CFP, uh, the CFP championship game preview, Michigan and Washington tonight. We'll get the latest on the, uh, on the Huskies uh, with uh, Scott Eklund, who covers the Huskies for dogman.com. Also, 10.30 or so to be interactive action at 602-260-1060 and also the local roundup. That will include some Cardinals analysis. Final segment of the Sports Zone will be the national roundup, top by the latest line for tonight's CFP championship game. There has been some movement in the last few hours on side and total. 
Then after the uh, Sports Zone from 11 to 1 o'clock, it's the Extra Point hosted by Kayla. And that will include lots of analysis from NFL Week Number 18 and whatever's going on in the coaching and general manager carousel on this Black Monday around the NFL. Right now, off to the pipeline we go. Time for today's Pipeline, where the host reveals the hot topics for discussion. Now we start with the KDUS poll question at KDUS1060.com. Today's question is, should the Cardinals trade down from the number one, number four pick of the NFL draft if Marvin Harrison Jr. is not available? And Kayla is here and has the early returns. No leading the way here at 75% of the vote. Yes, trailing at 25%. If the Cardinals want to draft Harrison Jr., they're likely going to need the Bears, Commanders, and Patriots to select quarterbacks with the first three selections. Meanwhile, the Cardinals finished the season 4-13 and after Matt Prater missed two field goals in the last three minutes. And in between, the Cardinals allowed a touchdown pass to longtime Cardinal killer Tyler Lockett. What stood out during the Cardinals' 4-13 and season after the 21-20 season-ending loss to the Seahawks? Meanwhile, today's Twitter poll question, who wins tonight's CFP championship game, Michigan or Washington? And Kayla, what's happening here? Well, over on Twitter X, uh, at KDOS AM 1060, Michigan, 61.5% of the vote. Washington, 38.5%. Michigan, the number one seed, up to a five-point favorite. That's the consensus number now. In the last uh, few hours, this has gone up even more over the number two seed, Washington. Uh, for you uh, historians out there, if you think that this matters, Michigan is 0-4 and all-time in number one versus number two matchups and has not won an outright national championship since 1948. In addition to picking the winner, how about some analysis, some witty analysis for tonight's game? Meanwhile, on the local front, or back to the local front, the ASU basketball team 4-0 and in Pac-12 play, on Saturday, after blowing a double-digit lead, Bobby Hurley's team regrouped to beat shorthanded Colorado, 76-73. What has been most surprising about ASU's 4-0 and start in the conference uh, Pac-12 conference play? Meanwhile, the U of A is 3-1 and after also sweeping the Mountain Schools. On Saturday, the Wildcats led just 42-39 at the halftime before they destroyed, dominated really, uh, Utah in the second half to win the game 92-73. to Did the U of A stop the bleeding by beating Colorado and Utah last week? Meanwhile, spanning the globe, the NFL playoff picture is set. The Texans are the AFC South champions ahead of the Jags, while the Steelers and Packers also clinched playoff bursts over the weekend. What stood out during the NFL's Saturday and Sunday schedule? Also, in addition to all these excellent questions and topics, what else caught your eye since our last show all the way back to Friday? That's the pipeline for today. We're with all these tremendous topics and much more during today's sensational radio program. Anything else on your mind falls into the general discussion category, so whether it's from the uh, pipeline or a sports topic on your mind, 602-260-1060, or you can tweet the show at KDUSAM1060 or x slash twitter.com slash KDUSAM1060. Basically, the only rules are accuracy and objectivity. If you violate those rules or if you're just simply bad, you will be the target of this.
Coming up next, Corey, we'll have a news update. That'll be followed by a preview of tonight's college football playoff championship game between Michigan and Washington. Scott Eklund, who covers the Huskies for Dogman.com, will join us. Also at the bottom of the hour, we'll have more phone call time or have phone call time. Uh, general discussion, 602-260-1060. Also a little local roundup. That'll include some Cardinals analysis. More of a, uh, you know, what, uh, you know, Kind of a combination of you know, what is uh, strengths and weaknesses of this season and what do they need to do before next season. Uh, you know, I don't think there's a whole lot of analysis, quite frankly, required in yesterday's game, which didn't mean squat, as it turns out, uh, than the fact that uh, at, least they, at least they lost the game and they didn't move further down the draft, which was going to happen if they'd won that game yesterday. You're listening to Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and KSLX HD 2 100.7. Every Monday night, check out Ray Adams as he hosts the Monday Night Golf and Lifestyle Show from 6 to 7 p.m. here on KDUS AM 1060. Welcome back to the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and KSLUX HD2 100.7. Your home, the Dan Patrick Show, live Monday through Friday from 7 to 10 a.m. The college football playoff concludes tonight with the undefeated showdown between Michigan and Washington. Out to the KDUS hotline we go. We're now joined the Sports Zone by Scott, Scott Edlin, who covers the uh, Washington uh, football program for dogman.com. And Scott, good to have you on the show. Washington football kind of a mess not kind of a mess it was a mess after going four and eight during the jimmy lake uh jimmy lake fiasco that was after he tried to succeed chris peterson uh then in comes kalen DeBoer, 11 and 2 last season 14 and 0 heading into the night's national championship game other than adding michael Penix jr what's been the most impressive thing about DeBoer's seemingly quick washington uh, ascent to the national championship game here well i i I think it has to be the, the culture he's created where, I mean, these guys just don't give up. Back in 1995, the Mariners, when they went on their magical run to the, their first playoff ever, and they had this thing called two outs, so what? <laughs> you know, and for Washington, it's uh, one score game, so what? We're going to win it. And they, they just have this mindset that they're going to win any game that is close, and they're battle-tested. They all know this. And I think it's just um, something that the coaches, a belief that the coaches have instilled in a team that, like you said, was kind of reeling after going four and eight and, and kind of being listless and not knowing the direction of the program. Kalen DeBoer has come in and really guided them in this direction and, and focused them on the, on the ultimate prize, which is a national title. Was adding Michael Penix Jr. via the transfer portal, was that considered to be kind of a foregone conclusion when DeBoer was added? Uh, actually, no. Um, so, Jake Hayner was a very successful quarterback under Kalen DeBoer, and he had actually signed and played two seasons. Um, he never really played. He was a redshirt. And then, I'm sorry, he just was here one year. And then he left right before the start of what it would have been his freshman se- his redshirt freshman season, because Jake uh, Easton was named the starter. And then he signed with uh, Fresno State, and he was with um, Jeff Tedford. And then uh, Kalen DeBoer was his head coach, and Kalen DeBoer led him to his best seasons as a collegian. Well, 
he was ready to come back and transfer back to Washington for his senior season. But because of the way things kind of fell into place and Michael Penix was available and Jake Hayner wasn't available, going to be available for spring ball, Michael Penix was. They, Washington decided to go with Michael Penix instead, and I think that's proven out. As good as Jake Hayner was, I think it's proven out to be uh, very great for Washington in the long run. No doubt about that. Uh, I promise I will get to the defense at some point here, but the offensive line, I want to start with that. They won the Joe Moore Award as the nation's best offensive line, something that had been Michigan's award in recent years. How did Washington and DeBoer build this offensive line? Well, so um, this offensive line, a lot of these guys were already in place. They were just growing and getting, you know, getting more experience up through the system and, and um, you know, the, the COVID year basically allowed them to have that extra year of development. A lot of these guys, Freyfa Utanu and Roger Rosengarten, two guys who are likely headed to the NFL after this game, both of those guys actually could have one more season. That's the left and right tackle. They could have one more season uh, at the University of Washington, but because of the way they've played and, and their opportunities and the fact that both have graduated and everything like that, they're going to move on to the NFL and probably be – Fautano looks like a first-round draft choice. Uh, Rosengarten sounds like a second- or third-round draft choice. So, um, you know, Washington's been able to build um, from the classes that uh, Chris Peterson left because Fautano and Rosengarten both committed and signed with Chris Peterson. But um, you also had um, – you know, Jimmy Lake brought in Parker Brailsford, who's the uh, who's the guy who um, is has been in the pivot for Washington. Nate Kalepo, Julius Pulo were two big time guys in the same class as Roger Rosengarten in the 2020 class. So these guys were built kind of before Washington got here. But the one coach that stuck around from Chris Peterson, Jimmy Lake, and now into Kalen DeBoer's tenure was Scott Huff, the offensive line coach, and so mm-hmm. he's the one who's really built this. Ryan Grubb comes in with a very offensive line friendly uh, uh, system. They've got a quarterback who understands protections and is kind of like a coach on the field. And so this this offensive line, while they're very talented, you have to play well together as a unit. And that is what Scott Huff and Kalen DeBoer have been able to do with this group. Scott Eklund, who covers Washington football for dogman.com, currently in the sports zone. All right, Washington and Michigan, they both excelled at player development. So how has Washington being, become so good at this player development area? Well, I, like I said, I think a big reason why you're seeing a lot of success is because a lot of these guys are a lot older than a lot of kids would be in normal years because they did have that COVID season. So that has definitely helped. They've gotten another season of eligibility and playing time under under their under their belts that maybe some kids in the same position wouldn't have so that's one thing but a a big thing has just been um identifying the guys who are going to help your team understanding the culture and and wanting guys to have buy-in and then knowing who who's going to be able to be the the ones that make the most uh difference on your team but also uh which guys are going to have that future and and kind of working with them and getting them reps. One of the things about the the linebacker group, you'll see that Washington's leading tackler has 92 tackles, whereas you go into some other of these, um, you know, programs across the country playing, you know, 12, 13 games, 
guys, you'll see guys in the 120s to 140 tackle range. Washington's top tackler is their uh, strong safety, Dominic Campton, at 92. And then your linebackers are all in the 80s, uh, 70s, and things like that. Well, that's because they rotate so many guys through. Washington has a five, if not six, linebacker rotation that they use. Mostly it's four now, but it, all season long it had been about six guys that have played at linebacker. In the middle of the defensive line, you've got um, a four- and six-man rotation that they use at a lot of times. The edges with Braylon Trice, Zion Tupuola Fatui, you know, those guys all rotate quite a bit as well with, with uh, some of the younger guys that they're trying to develop. So a lot of it has been about getting these guys reps, allowing them to develop, and then uh, putting them in in game situations that aren't just mop-up duty. They're putting them in against the first units of other teams, and that's allowing them to get very significant reps. They do that with the wide receivers, the tight ends, even the running backs. So the offensive line has seen some rotation in, but mostly it's been the same five guys that have played. But, but um, you know, the way they've developed this team has been to get them reps during the game. From afar, which is basically my viewpoint here, it, it kind of seems like the Washington offense in 2023 – uh, evolved here some. They went from you know, you know, basically almost all pass it seemed like they're chucking it down the field a lot to more balance and Dylan Johnson running the ball. I, is that an accurate assessment on my part? Yeah. Well, um, so are you talking early on in the season and as the season progressed? That's kind of how it works. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Okay. So with Dylan Johnson, when he showed up at Washington. For spring ball he had a knee issue that he was dealing with and he dealt with that all through the summer all through spring ball or i'm sorry spring ball and fall camp and even into the start of the season he did start um in their first game against boise state but then he missed the tulsa game because he was dinged up and then he played sparingly in those first few games washington lost the guy that was likely going to be their number one tailback during fall camp and cameron davis who blew out his knee in fall camp mm. and so so Dylan Johnson, when he came in, he was all of a sudden thrust into that starting role, and his body just wasn't ready for it. And so you had Will Nixon, you had Tybo Rogers, a freshman, who who you'll see uh, later tonight. Um, he'll get a lot of reps for Washington, but those are the guys who were kind of counted on. Richard Newton is a senior who gets a few carries here and there. Um, Sam Adams, if he's healthy, he wasn't healthy for the last game. We'll see if he's healthy for this one. But he's another guy who could see some reps. But Dylan Johnson didn't really get a lot of reps until it was really the Oregon game that he kind of had his breakout game for Washington when he rushed for um, 100 yards on the nose. That was his first 100-yard game. And then after that, he's just really come on. You know, the USC game is one everybody remembers when he rushed for 252 yards or something like that and three or four touchdowns and just has a – on a huge stage against Caleb Williams. But it's really been his consistency all through the season and then – against Oregon in the um, conference title game. He just um, just abused the defense for Oregon. Um, he had the game-winning or game-stealing run where he, he gets that first down on third and eight, third and nine, um, you know, slides down and, and ends the game basically. And, and, and then against uh, Texas, he didn't do very much. You know, he had a couple touchdowns, but he had 49 yards on, I want to say it was like 16 carries. So it was a really tough sledding for the Washington defense or uh, running game last week, and I think it's going to be a struggle this week because he he got dinged up right at the end of that game. Anybody who watched 
saw him screaming in pain um, as he's laying there, and, and it almost cost Washington the game because not only was he hurt, one of their key players, but uh, it saved time for Texas. So I think a lot of people are holding their breath and making sure that Dylan's going to play. He did say he's going to play earlier this week, um, but you know his his ability to run the ball has really made, like you said, Washington be more balanced. They're, instead of being more like 65-35, they're now like 55-45 run to pass. But if Dylan Johnson can't run the ball, then Washington's going to become one, much more one-dimensional, and I think that's exactly what uh, Michigan is hoping for. Along those lines, you know, the, the Washington offensive line, how do you see them matching up against the Washington defensive front, which obviously – you know, kind of had its way against the Alabama offensive line last week. Yeah, uh, it's going to be tough. I mean, Washington was able to handle the Texas, the big interior Texas defensive linemen. They did get some pressure on Michael Penix, but he was able to avoid it. And, um, you know, one thing I was listening to uh, several people talk about it on different shows and throughout the week, and I went back and watched it, and they were right. Michigan isn't a team that is going to have a standout guy um, pass rushing you, you know, um, mm-hmm. they have, they, no one, no one has more than six and a half sacks on their team, but what they do is they rush well as a unit. They stay in their lanes. They don't get too far upfield, allowing the quarterback to get out. And Michael Penix does not throw well when he's uncomfortable in the pocket. Most quarterbacks don't. And so, um, one of the things that they're going to try and do against Washington, I think is not necessarily, um, send blitzes, although I do think they will do that, but they're just going to make sure they stay in their lanes and, and not get pushed out by the Husky offensive line. And I think that's going to, that they're going to try and t- contain Michael Penix and keep him in the pocket, but also get some push up that middle, which will really uh, mess with him in the way he wants to do things. And, and it also won't let him Washington get those longer developing plays down the field. So what Washington is going to have to do is, is it isn't just Parker Brailsford, who's 275 pounds, very technical, very good player, but you're not going to put him up against some of these guys, Chris Jenkins, who's 340 pounds, and some of these other big defensive linemen from Michigan. He's going to get help from the tackles. He's going to get help from the from the guards. And then Washington really has to be good on those edges. I don't think they have edge guys who can beat Fautanu and Rosengarten off the edge. But what's really going to be a key is when they're blocking, can Dylan Johnson, can Tybo Rogers pick up that blitzing linebacker or another guy who might break free? That's really going to be the biggest key. All right, so we get past the uh, offensive uh, line versus the defensive front issue, or uh, you know the the matchup at least. Uh, Dunze, Polk, and McMillan against the Michigan secondary led by Will Johnson. How do you see that matchup? Boy, you know, I, look, I have great respect for what Michigan has done. I've watched four Michigan games, plus I went back and watched all of their games on, you know, just the highlights on uh, YouTube and things like that. But I've watched four games live throughout the season and have been really impressed with what I saw from Michigan in the secondary. They're, they're really good at covering guys. They don't make a lot of mistakes. Last week they played a ton of cover three where they dropped a bunch of guys deep. And, and Jalen Milrow was really confused. Well, Michael Penix isn't going to be confused, but is he going to have the patience to, um, you know, just check down, check the ball down to, like, Jack West over the tight end or Devin Culp, another tight end, or maybe one of the running backs, or a guy like Jeremy Bernard, who's an underneath uh, middle-range receiver. 
whereas Jalen McMillan, Romo Dunze, and, and uh, Jalen Polk are all guys who can get deep. Jalen Polk is your guy who can work that middle zone, and that's where I think they're going to make their money at least early on. And if they if they can get some some running running yards um, and and then pull some of those safeties up, that's when you're going to be able to hit something over the top. Because I think Michigan understands <clears throat> this is, and I know people want to say arguably. To me, it's not arguable. As good as Ohio State is, as talented as they are, the best wide receiver group in the United States. In college football in 2023 was the University of Washington. There's no comparison to any other wide receiver group. Top to bottom, they are. Jeremy Bernard, who's a fourth receiver for Washington, would be starting on half of the teams in this country. And he does, He barely plays at the University of Washington. So, you know, this group is just so special. And they all can make contested catches. And they all can get deep and do different things. And Ryan Grubb is so good at scheming them. I don't see Michigan slowing down, or I don't see Michigan stopping Washington's passing game. But what I do see, if they can make some plays, is is them being able to maybe slow it down and not allow Washington to go over the top like they like to do so much. So if they can do that, again, that's really going to put a crimp in what Washington wants to do offensively. But so far, other than Arizona State, other than Stanford, and even the Stanford game, they Washington made a couple long plays. Washington hasn't been handled when they're trying to throw the ball down the field, and that's been why they've won so many games this year. Talking with Scott Eklund, who covers Washington for uh, dogs, uh, dogman.com. All right, the Washington defense. Uh, how would you describe that unit? And then uh, which, the, which is the bigger concern for the Washington defense tonight, J.J. McCarthy or Blake Corum? Well, if – if Washington wins this game, it's because J.J. Or I'm sorry, if, if if Michigan wins this game, I believe it's going to be because J.J. McCarthy wins the game for them. I think Washington's going to commit almost every resource they have available to stopping Blake Corum and this that really good Michigan running game. They cannot allow him to just grind out yards. Unlike Texas and Oregon, the last two games that Washington has played, they have offensive coordinators who are former quarterbacks, who love to throw the ball, who love to, you know, do all those different things. Well, Jim Jim uh, Harbaugh is a is a former quarterback, but he has no problem running it 40 times, 50 times in a game if it's working. He will run the play, running plays until you can stop running plays. If if you don't do that, he's just going to run it. I don't. I think he would be happy to have. Um, J.J. McCarthy throw less than 15 passes if it wins the game for them. And I just, I just, if Washington's going to win, they're going to win by stopping Blake Corum and making J.J. McCarthy beat them. And I think Washington's defensive backs, while they're not, you know, world beaters by any stretch of the imagination, they're, I think they're more underrated than people give them credit for. I think they can make some plays on the ball. Jabbar Muhammad is an absolute stud. He'll be a he'll be a you know middle round draft choice this this coming season, but he's small. He's a guy who's probably going to be covering Roman Wilson, their big play guy. But you know Elijah Jackson is going to be matched up against some guys. Asa Turner, Dominic Hampton, those are guys who need to be in coverage and playing well. They did really well against Texas all the way until that last drive uh, last week. And I think if Washington's going to win, it's got to be um, stopping Blake Corum and making plays on the ball when J.J. McCarthy, who is not a bad passer by any stretch, but he, he is the lesser of the two evils that Washington has to choose from. 
Okay, Washington's won its last 10 games, decided by 10 points or fewer. How do they win all these close games? Well, you know, I kind of it kind of goes back to the belief these these coaches have instilled in them. It doesn't hurt that you have arguably the best quarterback in the country. It doesn't it doesn't uh, hurt that you have a experienced offensive line who can you know grind out games at the end if you need them to. And it doesn't help that it doesn't hurt that Washington's coaches have done a really good job of scheming um, on the at halftime and coming out with adjustments and allowing their defense, which against you know uh, USC, I think they gave up uh, 42 points. They only gave up 10 points in the second or uh, seven points in the second half against USC, and and after after just being shredded by USC in the first half, so. You know, there's so much that goes into it. There's so much game planning that Washington has to do and, and, and everything like that. These coaches have just instilled this belief that, hey, close game, who cares? We're experienced. We've done this before. We'll do it again. And that's where Washington is right now. And I think their mentality, these guys are razor sharp when it comes to winning close games. Uh, Michigan ended up beating Alabama in a very close game last week. But that was one of their first close games other than the Ohio State game. Washington has experienced this for the last basically two and a half months of the season. And so Washington is very battle-tested. I think if it comes down to a close game at the end, I think Washington, that's advantage Washington for sure. Okay, so bottom line, who wins tonight? <laughs> well, I'm not going against the Huskies because I've gone with them all season, even when I thought there was a good chance they could lose. So, um I just really thought I just really there were several games that I was like, oh, I'm so used to I'm so used to Washington being beaten by these good teams that I, I want to pick these other teams, but but I went with Washington and I'm going to stick. I'm going to go with the girl, you know, go with the one that brought me here, you know. And um, so I've got Washington. I, I think I picked it 38-31, uh, Washington. Scott, we appreciate it. Good stuff, and uh, we'll uh, look forward to talking to you in the future. Thanks. That sounds great. You guys have a good one and uh, enjoy tonight. It's good. It should be a good matchup. Yeah, hopefully so. That's what I'm pulling for as much as anything. So Scott Eklund, excellent stuff there. Covers uh, the covers Washington for uh, dogs. D o w g uh, dogman dot com. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, you know, the good stuff from him. And uh, we look forward to you know. I assume Washington's uh, they're going to lose a lot of guys. In fact, both these teams have a bunch of seniors. Uh, Michigan has 44 seniors on their roster. You know, Washington, not quite that many, but uh, these teams are going to look a lot different next year. All right, next segment will be phone call time, general discussion, 602-260-1060, and also today's local roundup, including some analysis from the uh, Sunday Cardinals and Seahawks. Uh, you know, more like a season, kind of a season wrap-up for the Cardinals is more than just a Cardinals-Seahawks uh, regular season finale analysis and all that. Uh, we'll see how we, we can get some of that in in this next segment. I'm sure we'll get into that in the extra point from 11 to 1, hosted by Kayla, in more detail. You're listening to Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUSAM AM 1060 and KSLUX HD2 100.7.
HD Radio is here for KDUS AM 1060. Check out your favorite shows and games on 100.7 KSLX HD2. It's time for today's local roundup. Welcome back to the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and KSLX HD2 100.7. In addition to local roundup, it is phone call time. To the KDUS hotline, 602-260-1060. We'll get to the uh, phone lines in just a couple of seconds. First up, a little bit on uh, the local roundup here in the Cardinals' dismal season. Uh, you know, finally ended on Sunday. Uh, Matt Prater, arguably the Cardinals' best player for much of the season, missed two field goals over the last three minutes in the Cardinals' 20-13 lead, turned into a 21-20 loss to the Seahawks, who... Actually, the Seahawks did not beat an NFC West team this season except for the two games that they beat the Cardinals. Uh, the Cardinals they also uh, finished zero, they finished zero and six against division opponents. Obviously, they lost every game to the you know, 49ers, Rams, and the Seahawks. Uh, here are just some quick, some quick. Uh, actually, I'm going to hold off on this until the next couple of hours during the extra point with Kayla because we got a couple calls here. I want to make sure we get these in. Uh, first up, let's go to Vince in Phoenix. Hi, Matt. Uh, excuse me. Hi, Vince. Matt will be next. Hi, Hi. Vince. Hi there. Um, I have a question in regard to tonight's game. Does it does it mean anything that the backup quarterback from Michigan, Jack Tuttle, was backup at Indiana the two years that Penix was there? That's uh, interesting point. I don't even know if he, is he still on their roster because he's not their backup quarterback anymore. They got the kid who comes in and runs the ball and does you know basically there's a run package for him which started in the Ohio State game. So I don't even know if Tuttle's well, still on the roster. Quite frankly, well, th- this was a post that I got off of Twitter. Okay, and well you got to believe everything you yeah. see on Twitter. No, I know, and. So maybe it's not true. And, well, he but, might be there. I know he was there at one time. I have no idea if he's still on the roster. He obviously has not played any meaningful games uh, in a while. Uh, in fact, I'm not even sure the last time he actually played in the game for Michigan. Th- this says that he only has 130 passing yards this season. That's correct. I mean, you, you play, played a, I mean, early in the season when they were killing the bad teams that they played. I just remember seeing him some then, but I don't even, like I said, I don't, if he's on their roster, he's not playing tonight unless the first two quarterbacks get hurt. Okay, but, but I'm just saying from the fact that I don't, he knew Penny. The, the answer to your question is I don't think it matters at all. Okay. Okay. And, okay. And uh, so, so – uh, the analysis from the caller there, uh, uh, the one thing that I support from what he said is uh, Washington did play in uh, quite a few close games. And, That's correct. Uh, well, they, they beat U of A, for example. Uh, what was it? By well, that, that wasn't. Yeah, that wasn't a close game, though. I mean, it was less than 10 points at the end, but basically they were in charge of that whole game, and U of A scored a couple of phony touchdowns at the end to make the score look close. Okay, Okay, Vince, good stuff. I got to go. I got to go, Vince. Sorry. Uh, Matt in Phoenix, what's going on, Matt? Bob, how are you? How was the weekend? Good. How about you? Uh, um, Good. Everything's good. Uh, I guess we'll get to uh, Sean Manai and Harrison Bader. 
and the parade planning for the Mets World Series. Yeah, uh, I only got time. about four. Oh, I only got about three or four minutes here. I apologize. So we get you're, whatever. Yeah, you know, I assume you want to assume you want to talk about tonight. Yes. Yeah, I think game script is big for uh, Michigan. Um, I think they want to stay in in run pass availability and not chase the game um, against a team uh, who can keep scoring. Uh, so I would look for that. Um, I don't think Washington's going to have any success running the ball um, at all. Um, combining the injury to the to Johnson and the Michigan front, uh, I don't think there's much success that they're going to have there. Um, the Michigan secondary we talked about before, excellent uh, athletic. Um, combined with their defensive line, uh, they don't need to do a ton. And the thing a lot of people don't realize is Michigan is terrific at um, uh, mixing uh, coverages and disguising coverages. Um, I think that's a unique uh, look in this game, considering Penix may not have seen something like that uh, against these Pac-12 defenses. Um, I I kind of think with Washington probably committing a ton to the run game, that McCarthy becomes a bigger part of this game than a lot of people think he's going to be. Um, we've talked about pace. Um, both these teams are extremely slow. I think the game right. comes down to the red zone. Um, Michigan's defense and Washington's offense are excellent in the red zone. Uh, Michigan's offense is excellent in the red zone, and Washington's defense has not been good in the red zone. Um, so I like the game 30-23 in favor of the Wolverines. I think it's going to be a little less scoring, and I think one of the reasons, uh, and we talked about this briefly, I know, last week, but I think uh, you, know, you, you mentioned the pace. I don't think that a lot of people, that uh, unless you watch a lot of college football, uh, they just see all the explosive plays and highlights from Washington, yep. but they're in no hurry to snap the ball. They often <laughs> snap the ball all. with less than yeah, less than five seconds left in the play, in the play clock. That happens yeah. frequently, and obviously Michigan wants you to just kind of condense the game and in many in many ways, clockwise, and also at the line of scrimmage, they want to condense the game. And I actually am you know, you know, still out there kind of searching to see how high number this number go because this, yeah. this number goes as far as the total. It keeps going up. So uh, that's good. You know, hopefully that's good for me and I think good for you. Uh, but uh, I, so I actually think that in – In the middle of last week – um, yeah. That, that. So, um, uh, what is it currently? I, I see some fifty-six and a half mainly right now. Okay. At least, at least okay. an hour ago. I haven't had a chance to look in the, since I started the show here. Uh, but uh, in fact, uh, I tried. Well, I can't look right now. I got too many windows open is here, which is number actually in college football betting uh, total. So, That's true. I think 50, it, it, I also think fifty six is a big deal just because of just the you know the common and do, common denominator with touchdowns and so forth. So yeah, I think that's a, that's a good thing too. Oh, so game tonight, Bob. I appreciate it as always. We'll talk uh, loser bets here uh, as the uh, winter goes along. Okay, maybe it'll, you know it's the winter here. God, you know, God forbid. Yeah. I didn't move here. I didn't move here to wear a jacket in the morning. What the hell is going on? So, anyway. All right, good stuff. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate it, as always. I'll get to the Cardinals stuff, and uh, Kayla and I will get to the Cardinals stuff. And I've got a few things, to, mainly some things that I've just observed during the season and things that I think need to change before next season, etc. 
So, uh, you know, we'll get to that during the extra point in the next two hours. And uh, hosted by Kayla, of course, from 11 to 1 o'clock. All right, next segment, we'll wrap up the sports zone. Uh, we'll start with the national championship game, and I'll look in during the break here and get the very latest line, at least the consensus numbers from Las Vegas, and see where that sits. The number is moved pretty much, you know, definitely on the move in the last 24 hours, but not surprisingly, the public is uh, on the favorite in a high-profile standalone game, let alone a national championship game. social information about KDUS AM 1060, try KDUS1060.com at KDUS AM 1060 on Twitter and Facebook.com slash KDUS AM 1060. It's time for today's National Roundup. Welcome back. Final segment of today's Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and KISS Lux HD 2 100.7. On to the national championship game for tonight. The latest line, I'm going to Las Vegas consensus here, and uh, it is definitely now Michigan a five-point favorite. Uh, in fact, most of the major sports books in Las Vegas now have Michigan as a five-point. In fact, almost all of them, there's like one four-and-a-half uh, at this point. So Michigan's up to a five-point favorite and. Almost every location in the state of Nevada, at least. As far as the total, 56.5 is clearly the consensus on this. Uh, there's some 56s out there, but uh, nothing lower than that, at least to the oh, 10 or 11 sports books that I have the access and the line tour, uh, not line to, uh, line four, uh, out of lack of a better wording for me. Could have been better no matter how I would have worded that, but whatever. Meanwhile, uh, away from this game tonight, seen, nobody in the NFL seems to think that uh, Jim Harbaugh is not going to be coaching in the NFL next year. Obviously, you know, Ian Rappaport, in fact, reported on Sunday that the Chargers and the Raiders are uh, you know, most linked to Harbaugh. I know this morning Washington is also in that mix, but uh, it certainly does not seem uh, terribly likely uh, that Harbaugh will return to Michigan next year, no matter what happens tonight. Meanwhile, on to the uh, NFL Super Wild Card round. And let's uh, quickly go through these numbers uh, for the upcoming weekend. Uh, Cleveland and Houston. You knew Houston was going to get that early game on Saturday because they always get, when they make the playoffs, they always get that early game on Saturday. And uh, Cleveland at Houston. And Cleveland, a two-and-a-half-point road favorite at Houston. And uh, total sitting at 44 in that game. I don't have an off-the-top-of-my-head opinion on that game yet. Uh, Meanwhile, Miami at Kansas City. It sure would be nice if Miami had those offensive players back for this game. We'll see how that goes. Uh, Kansas City, three-and-a-half-point home favorite in the, this game in the total in this game sitting at 45 this game's gonna for me it's gonna be miami or nobody as far as wagering this game on the wagering on this game uh pittsburgh's at buffalo buffalo at 10 point favorite at home supposed to be uh, frigid conditions as you might expect in kansas city and in buffalo uh total in the uh buffalo pittsburgh game sitting at 36 i would like to take pittsburgh in the points uh, that's uh, I'll either be on Pittsburgh or not be on anybody in this game. I'm not going to lay 10 points uh, with Buffalo, who I don't completely trust still. And uh, last night's game in the first half was the biggest reason I don't trust Buffalo. Uh, Green Bay's at Dallas, the Mike McCarthy Bowl. 
And uh, Dallas, a seven and a half point home favorite. Total in this game, 49 and a half. For me, it's going to be Dallas or nobody in this game. Uh, in fact, I'm, excuse me, it's going to be Green Bay or nobody in this game. In fact, I would be pretty surprised if I didn't have something on Green Bay in some shape or form. There are a couple of eights out there. I wish I had the chance to get those, but uh, not had the opportunity to uh, try to uh, you know scoop up a plus eight in the Green Bay Packers. Meanwhile, then on Sunday, a late game on Sunday night, it's the Rams in Detroit. In Detroit, a three-and-a-half-point favorite. I've been saying this for two or three weeks. Anticipating this possible matchup, I will be on the Rams in this game for sure. And then on Monday night, it's Philadelphia and Tampa. And Philadelphia, just a a two-and-a-half-point favorite after their uh, collapse in the last few weeks of the season here. Total sitting at 44 in that game. And I have no idea what I might actually think about doing in that particular game. Meanwhile, a couple other quick things on the Eagles. Uh, They didn't compete in another bad loss. A.J. Brown goes down with an injury. As of a few minutes ago, they really had not come up with an uh, update, I should say, on uh, his leg injury. They also lost Reed uh, Reed Blankenship in that game, right guard, got Cam Juergens. Safety Stanley Brown. They all went out of that game yesterday against the Giants in the, the swamps of Jersey. All right, next two hours, extra point. Plenty more on the Cardinals, plenty more on week 18 in the NFL season. Phone call time 602 260 1060. This has been the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp. Thanks for listening.